0: Back in the spring, a friend of mine asked me to join a little book study group that he was putting together, and the uh, the plan was for us to go through a book called Designing Your Life. I don't know if anybody is here has heard that book. I think Jimmy's been through it, but um, a book called Designing Your Life. It's this really cute shade of, like, sky blue. It's, like, the most pleasant-looking book cover ever, and um, but uh, the idea behind the book is to take design principles and apply them to how you structure your life. So the way we live our lives and the way we structure our careers, which was very fascinating because I don't really know much about design. Uh, but it's kind of taking these design principles and applying them. So, uh, so we got this book, star- this book group started um, back in June, May or June or something like that. And one of the activities in the book, so it's very, um, the way the book is structured, there's lots of different activities that you do to kind of process and get into this idea of designing your life. And one of those activities was uh, a couple of weeks into, or a couple chapters into the book, this idea of um, looking back and identifying times in your life when you're really energized and engaged. So like look for times and whether that's a job, a task, time with friends, an adventure, whatever the experience is, look for experiences in your life, times in your life when you're really energized by what you're doing and really engaged in what you're doing and this idea of being fully alive. And so um, that was the goal in this sort of activity that um, we started jumping into. So I spent some time journaling and processing and reflecting about times in my life, jobs I've had. Uh, Things that I've done what that sort of stuff to think about times when uh, I was really energized and engaged in what I was doing and so I was started off like um, Okay, let's be serious here and I was trying to think about serious things, you know And this same idea kept coming and distracting me. and I was like, oh, that's not serious enough It's supposed to be serious stuff, you know, so finally I realized that the thing that kept coming to my mind was backpacking and the all that goes into backpacking. Specifically, two, um, two times I went on extended backpacking, wilderness backpacking trips. And so as I was processing through this, those two ideas kept coming to my mind. And I was thinking as I was like trying, feeling sort of guilty for this, I was like, shouldn't I say something like um, I'm really uh, engaged, energized and engaged when I'm like by being a father, like that sounds like a really nice thing to say, or um, I'm most fully alive every time I'm with my wife. It's like that would be a great thing to say, but that's not what was coming out. That's not what was coming to me. So finally I was like, okay, some, something inside of me is trying to talk to me about these backpacking experiences, uh, and so I need to give myself a little bit of freedom and time to, to reflect on those. And I started journaling and writing different ideas about these uh, two particular trips. So one of them, this is what I was gonna show you pictures of. It's probably a good idea that I didn't because one of them had a really bad hair picture, day picture <laughs> in it, but the river that I was standing by was beautiful. So you, you might not have seen the river though because the hair was so bad. Um, so uh, one of the trips was a week long trip that I took with my brother um, through the Olympic mountains yeah, out in Washington state. We crossed over, beautiful place, really extraordinary trip. The second um, was a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, actually, uh, after my oldest daughter, Emma, graduated. She and I went on a one-week backpacking trip through a part of Colorado in the Rocky Mountains. And those two trips kept coming to my mind as I was doing this journaling and this idea that there was something about those trips that was really energizing, that was really engaging, that I felt fully alive in, um, in both of those experiences. And so I started just sort of processing and doing this, um, this activity, this designing your life activity, reflecting on these uh, wilderness backpacking trips. So I want to share a few things that uh, I realized as I was processing this, um, that I don't have time to go into like all the secrets of life that you discover when you're backpacking, when you're lost in the wilderness. Not going to do that to you, but I will give you a few a few things that I think relate to what we're talking about in this series. So um, if you could imagine a picture on the screen with beautiful mountains, and um, we're about to cross, the the, sec- the one picture I was going to show you, it was Emma and I, we were just about the top of this 12,000 foot mountain, and you could see like for hundreds of miles in like every direction from the place that we were getting to. And the picture was like her going up this trail with the pack on her back. So imagine that if you can. Maybe you can't. But there's a backpack on her back that fits nicely on a five foot one girl. You know, she was fit nicely. So um, one of the things that um, you realize back, b- I'm, th- I'm trying to paint the picture. I'm not doing a good job I, um, So one of the things that we realized that, uh, that I realized as I was reflecting that everything you need to survive is in that backpack. So in that little backpack, Emma had everything that she needed to survive. So food for over a week, uh, a way to cook that food, a stove to cook that food. She had a uh, water filter so that we could filter water and get as much water as we needed. We didn't run out of safe drinking water through the course of the trip. Uh, she had uh, clothes for all kinds of weather because you don't really know when you're high elevation like that, what the weather's gonna be like. Shelter, we had a tent that we used. We um, had really nice sleeping bags to keep us from freezing to death at night when it was cold. Uh, and then there's this assortment of what we call luxury items when we're backpacking. That's like a camp chair, so you're not just sitting on a piece of wood or on the cold ground. You got a camp chair, um, coffee to drink in the morning. Got to have that's a luxury, and, you know. But you got to have it. Um, a journal, a book to read because you got lots of time to sort of just relax. And uh, and then for us, a personal favorite is a hammock, so that you find a great place, you just sit your hammock up there and look at the river or whatever. So, so the trick, though, is to get all of that stuff in this small backpack that you can carry on your back. So it's got to be small enough, and you actually want to be able to lift it up. So you have to, like, manage the weight of everything that's going into this backpack, which is kind of tricky to get size and space all squeezed into that. And our goal was to have packs of about 30 to 35 pounds. So Emma's pack was around, you know, 30 to 35 pounds that she's carrying up this giant mountain. So everything that you need is in that little bag. That's one thing about um, these extended backpacking trips. Another thing about those trips, you are c- completely disconnected. There was one point, actually, right before we reached that peak, where I pulled out my phone, and I was like, I haven't talked to my wife or my other daughters in a while, and I haven't connected to civiliz- civilization in days, so I wonder if my phone will work. And I did the, like... Like, oh, I got a signal, and I called Wendy, and I chatted with her. But normally, you're totally disconnected from, um, from everything, from media, from all the news that's going on in the world. You're disconnected from that. Um, you're disconnected from all the distractions and the things that stress you, your jobs, all that sort of. You're just disconnected from all of those things, and the silence and the stillness and the quiet and the empty space just does something extraordinary to your soul. So another, um, then there's the, um, the beauty and the delight part of a trip, a backpacking type trip. So obviously we picked beautiful places to go, but the reality is we don't often slow down enough to pay attention to the beauty that's around us in our normal lives. So we can go to beautiful places or walk through parks or what at the beauty of architecture, the people, the beautiful people around us. We're just going to truck through life. We just don't slow down to notice that sort of stuff. To, to take it in, and I realized as I was reflecting, when I'm going on a backpacking trip like that, I literally schedule time to stop and smell the flowers. Like I, we planned out our route and the path we were going to take, the different trails or whatever, and you're looking for, one of the things I was really looking forward to with the trip with Emma was going through these high mountain meadows where there's all these wildflowers. And I was like, I'm going to take time when I get to those meadows and just walk around and look at the flowers and smell them. And I literally planned that into the schedule. So we, you take this time as you're disconnecting and everything's kind of on your back, but you just intentionally are present in that place to enjoy the beauty, to, to wake up in the morning and just sit still. Maybe you build a fire, maybe you just look at the birds or the squirrels or whatever, and you drink a warm cup of coffee and just sit in that sort of moment, or plan your day. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What path are we taking? What are the beautiful sights we might see so that we can plan our lunch so we stop at a bu- beautiful place to eat lunch to enjoy the view? So all of this intentionality. Uh, and then there's the, like, this reality of enjoying simple things there's um, there's nothing quite like warm socks <laughs> at the end of a cold hiking day, where you just kind of settle in and slip on aw, warm socks, or the feeling of the fabric of your sleeping bag as you're sliding into it. These may sound totally foreign to you, but these are l- delights. Things that you, they're just simple things that you forget. That cup of coffee when it's chilly outside, or uh, I'd notice myself watching my brother or Emma on the different trips, playing with the fire or watching them look at the stars, and the look on their face as they see the stars up above us, or just being able to see stars, and the quiet, and the still, like the, as you're wandering on the trail, you're just, your mind is just reflecting, and processing, and you've got this empty space to let yourself think, this delight, and this beauty, and this presence, and there's loads more things, if you want to know more, just ask me, and I'll tell you all the other awesome things um, related to, oh, we're in the mountains like that, the, your water source is like cold mountain rivers, so when you drink water, you filter it, and then you drink it, and it's like ice, cold, fresh, straight out of the mountain kind of water. It's extraordinary. I don't usually really love water, unless you go somewhere else and you taste and they have gross water. Then you notice it, but when you're in the mountains, it's just like cold and refreshing and this, like, simple things. Water with nothing in it, just water. Um, extraordinary experience. So, as I was doing this Designing Your Life activity, I realized something very f- fascinating and striking, ex- um, all sorts of words to connect to it. I realized that when you strip away nearly everything that I have, my possessions, my connections, my professional skills, the things I've learned to be a professional tax guy or all the things that I know how to do, uh, none of that stuff applies when you're in the mountains. Like I got stripped that stuff, ra- Strip my career away from me, the way I measure success, take all of that stuff when I slow down, when I'm present in the beauty, noticing it in the simplicity of the moment, spending time with somebody that I love, connecting with God in unique sort of settings and opportunities, that is when I feel most alive. That is when I realize I am most engaged and most energized by what's going on. And yet, I don't live my normal life that way at all. My life, my routine of my daily life now, I don't implement any of those things. I realized I didn't have any of those things in my daily life here, so I wasn't energized and engaged in the same way that maybe I was when I was there in the mountains. So we are starting this teaching series today that we are calling Enough uh, and regardless of the, the, um, all the stuff I'm talking to you about, this is not about nature and escaping to wilderness. So at the end of it, we're not going to plan a big outing. So maybe we should. Well, maybe we should. <laughs> where the plan was not to uh, like, plan something to go off in wilderness and give everybody this incredible experience. Um, but really, as the teaching team has been praying and processing, we realize there's some things that we need to reconnect with individually and collectively as a church. Some things that we need to be talking about. And uh, we're pulling some of that stuff into this series that we're calling Enough. But this word, uh, enough, the concept of enough, is very tricky, actually. Uh, if I were to ask most most of you if you have enough, there would be a lot of different answers in the room, a lot of different responses. So we at Everyday Church are committed to being a multi-ethnic church, a multi-generational church, and also a multi-economic church. So there are people in this congregation, in this family, who have plenty. We have enough. But there are others here who don't have enough money to pay their bills. Or to take a day off. To go do something restful and beautiful like that. That And so it's tricky when we talk about the idea of enough because we all come from different sorts of experiences and situations and financial realities as, um, as a family. And while we're, um, we're going to talk a lot over these next few weeks about our resources, about money and time and energy and how we use those things, um, there's a deeper reality to this idea of enough. That having enough isn't primarily about our circumstances or our financial situation, that actually the idea of enough starts somewhere deep down inside of us, and that's where we need to, um, to begin. So in the book, Your Money or Your Life, which is a fascinating book title, um, Your Money or Your Life, the authors, a couple authors of this book, they write this. Marketing theory says that people are driven by fear, by guilt, by greed, by the need for approval. Advertising then promises to resolve those discomforts with a product. So that, when I read that, I was kind of like, "Ugh, that's a little bit scary, that the marketing world kind of, they maybe understand the motivations of our heart better than we do sometimes. They know that spending money is largely about those things, fear and guilt and greed and the need for approval, that that's what drives so much of how and why we spend money. And I can honestly, maybe this is true for you, uh, I I suspect it is, I can relate to all of those motivations, that at times that's exactly what's going on inside of me when I'm spending um, money or using my time or my energy. So in her book, uh, Abundant Simplicity, which this is a book that um, the teaching team is reading through um, as we're preparing and working through this series. So I, I would recommend this book. It is really a great book. It's called Abundant Simplicity by um, Jan Johnson. So she continues this same line of thinking uh, in this. Um, just read what she says here. Advertising also plays into our fears that we won't have enough that we'll miss out that will be shown to be inadequate that will be misjudged rejected left out that will face others disapproval anger or disappointment these fears which focus on not being loved or valued are evidence of an internal neediness that holds us back and that God invites us into conversation about so the big question that we're kind of wrestling with in this series, or w- well, the, the starting point for us is this, like where do, we, when we're digging into this idea of enough being a hard issue, where do we start with that? Do you just start talking about money? Do you start talking about how we spend our time? Where do you start with this idea of um, of enough? How do we get into the concept and begin to, to wrestle with this, especially knowing that we are are all in different places in life, different circumstances. Uh, We're dealing with different sorts of challenges, different limitations, different financial realities. Where do we start? And I think that last phrase, I want to read it to you again from Jan Johnson, um, captures this. These fears, which focus on not being loved or valued, are evidence of an internal neediness that holds us back and that God invites us into conversation about. I think um, that she nails it right there. That our starting point underneath all the fears and the worries and the confusion is this inner neediness, this internal neediness um, in each of us. More money, more time, more energy, more of all of those things is not going to satisfy that internal neediness. That there's no amount of time, there's no amount of energy or money or health or whatever you put on that list, no amount of stuff that's going to fill the need that we have to be loved and to know that we are loved and valuable. So in a um, very cool conversation in uh, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a guy. His guests, this, this guy comes to him and uh, strikes up a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus, I think, seeing what's going on there, he, uh, he makes this statement. For God so loved the world, he loved the world so much, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So for God so loved each and every one of us that he came to find us, to rescue us, to restore us, to demonstrate that we are lovable before we even did anything right. We were lovable, that we are enough just as we are with God. That from the beginning of time, God has been trying to convince us of our value, the inherent value that we have as humans inside of us. That we are lovable. That our lovableness does not come from how successful we are, or how much stuff we have, or how well we manage our sin, or how well we do any of the religious things that we sort of put out there. That that is not the basis for being loved. That God loves us despite that stuff, because we are lovable just the way we are. We are Enough. We are loved. You are enough. And I want you to hear this today. You are enough. And until you accept that you are enough as you are, you cannot hope to ever have enough. You can't even really get into the idea of what enough is. It starts with this idea that you are enough. So uh, I have a little gift for each of you. It's a little gift. It's a piece of paper. So I'm going to ask somebody to help me hand this piece of paper out. All right, so on this piece of paper is a list of scriptures. We're not going to go down through all of these today. Um, but this is something actually Wendy and I, Somebody gave this to Wendy years ago, and we keep a copy of this um, in our bathroom, actually. So when you're, you know, hanging out in the bathroom, you can look at this list, you know. Um, So you can decide what you want to do with this list. But uh, on this list are uh, a a lot of different verses related to this idea of you are enough. And so what I want to do is just give you a couple of minutes to read down through that list. And I would encourage you... Would you guys hand out some pins also because we're going to need them in a bit as well? Um, I would encourage you when you're reading down through this list and you feel something like your heart flutter or some sort of feeling in your gut to circle that one. Because that there's a good chance that's something God wants you to hear. So just read down through that list, take this stuff in and uh, encircle any of them that um, that jump out to you. So I would encourage you to um, to take that list with you. And in the coming days, weeks, to um, just to look up some of those passages, you can go to uh, a great resource that I use a lot. is BibleGateway.com or org, whichever one it is. Google Bible Gateway, you'll find it. Um, but you can look up a, uh, the scripture. Just type in the Matthew 5.13 or any of those scripture references. And uh, you can look at different uh translations, so different languages, but also in English, you can look at the New International Version or New Living Translation or others um, and see different ways that these the word, the original language was translated in those. Um, but I would just encourage you to um, to take some time to read down through those. If there were specific ones that, that struck you or something stirred inside of you, maybe start with those um, and look those up and just give you some ti- yourself some time to reflect um, <coughs> that You are something very unique because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, and the world um, wants us to think otherwise. And so I'd like for you guys just to take some time to take this stuff in in the coming weeks as we're processing through uh, this series. So you are enough, just the way you are. That God's not looking for you to clean up your act first. You don't have to clean yourself up, and then you're enough. You don't have to clean yourself up, and then you're welcome in the family of God then you're acceptable or loved by God or loved by the people um, around you in the family of God. And I think it's really important that we hear that message before we get into other things that we're going to be talking about and wrestling with because I think this really is the foundation for this concept of um, enough, that you are enough, I am enough. And if we can hold tightly on to that idea, then I think we have the opportunity and the ability to wrestle through what it means to have enough, have enough money, have enough time, have enough energy. um, But it starts with this holding on tightly to this truth, and I I hope that um, some of these scriptures will help you do that. So in the process of um, studying for this teaching series, I was just sort of reflecting on Different conversations that Jesus had with different people through his um, his life and ministry uh, related to money. So I was trying to think about like what did he talk about with people and what kind of stuff did he bring up um, related to money, or in many cases it was people's lack of money. And as I was wrestling with the ideas and this concept that this starts with a heart issue, I started to see different things in the interactions that Jesus had with people about money. Realized that actually. He responded in different ways to different people based on their situations, but what was going on, it seemed as if he knew something maybe we didn't know, even that person didn't know. He knew there was something going on in that person's heart, and he was really dealing with the heart issue, not specifically money um, first, that Jesus sees... The heart. And he knows our relationship with money and time and energy reveals something about what's going on inside of us. And so his goal is to help us see these things that we don't even realize are happening, the connections between our heart and our money and our time and our resources. It's like Jesus is uh, in those stories shining a light into people's hearts to say, see what's there? Do you realize what's really going on here in this situation? So Luke chapter 12 is um, a great uh, example of what I'm talking about. So over the summer, Matt taught a parable out of this um, Luke chapter 12 section of Jesus' life. And uh, the chapter is packed. Luke 12 is packed with loads of different um, deep teaching, actually, and a lot of stuff related to money. And I have been sort of processing back through Luke chapter 12 and seeing some of these things that uh, sort of struck me in this new light of thinking about Jesus dealing with our hearts when he's talking about money and resources. So the parable, if you remember, the parable that Matt um, taught about from Luke chapter 12 was about a guy who struck it rich. So this dude um, has a farm, he has a business basically, and his business, his farm went crazy. And he started to get all kinds of wealth coming out of this business that he had, and he's looking at all this stuff, and he realizes I don't have enough stuff place to store all this stuff, and so he decides he's going to be build bigger and bigger barns. He's going to tear down his barns, his warehouses, and pack more and more stuff, and just accumulate more and more and more. and uh, And Jesus makes the comment, He does this so that he can, you know, he can um, be merry, you know, eat and drink and be merry is the phrase that Jesus uses. And the crazy thing that happens at the end of the story, the guy dies. That night, he dies. And all of this wealth that he had accumulated wasn't for anything. It didn't accomplish anything in the end. And so Jesus tells that parable, and he just like leaves it out there with people. Like, there you go. Let that one sink in a little bit. And then he's with his friends, and he flips it on its end. And he starts to talk to his friends about this idea of, um, of enough. He talks about um, not worry. He says, don't worry about all that stuff. It's like, you know, um, think about the birds of the air. God takes really good care of the birds. Think about the flowers in the field. They don't try to look good, but they are so beautiful. God takes care of them. And if God cares about and takes care of the birds and the flowers, then don't you think he's also going to take care of you? And so Jesus says, don't worry so much. Focus on living your life God's way, the way God wants us to live our lives and live generously. So then Jesus says something that, um, it's a phrase that I, I've read it loads of time, and I suspect you have um, heard this phrase too, and it's one of those things that I'm like, yeah, okay, I kind of get what Jesus is saying, but I realize I don't actually feel what he's saying, like it hasn't, I haven't, I haven't been able to move it from my mind and the sort of thinking about it to really feeling what Jesus, like, oh, that's what he's talking about, like that moment where you realize. Uh, So this is what Jesus says kind of at the conclusion of that section um, that I just referenced. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seems, you know, simple enough, but when I really start to think about practically, I start to get confused as I'm wrestling through this. So first off, I don't use the word treasure very often. Except I do have a board game that has a literal treasure box. And as you're collecting um, treasure as a pirate, you put your pirate booty in this little treasure box. So other than that, I don't use the word treasure um, very often. But let's just say, let's play along with what Jesus is, is saying here. Let's just say I call this stuff in my life treasure. So I've got some trev- treasure over at Chase Bank. You know, I've got some treasure stuck away over there. I've got some um, outdoor gear treasure that um, I have in a storage bin at um, Manhattan Mini Storage. I, uh, I have some retirement treasure that I've accumulated from a couple jobs, you know, in different retirement accounts or whatever. So, you know, it all, that all sounds kind of weird, but I'm trying to play along, trying to get what Jesus is talking about. So, okay, I have treasure, but how is my heart there with those treasures? Like, what is that? What's Jesus talking about there? Does he mean, like, that I shouldn't have them? Does he mean that I should give them all away because my heart is with these treasures instead of with God? Um, does he mean that I shouldn't like those things or I shouldn't want those things? Like what is Jesus talking about in this idea of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as I was wrestling through this stuff the past couple of weeks, a thought uh, occurred to me about what Jesus said and suddenly this concept of where you're where your treasure is there your heart will be also started to move from my mind into my heart I started to realize like okay I think I'm getting this heart issue thing that Jesus was talking about so the word treasure is an interesting um, it's an interesting word it's one of those words that is both a noun and a verb and I okay so I hate English grammar I really do hate English grammar I use the words noun and verb less than I use the word treasure and I absolutely do not have a board game that talks about nouns and verbs, so that would be a really lame board game, at least m- in my opinion. Uh, maybe there's a noun, verb, grammar board game out there. Oof, sounds terrible. Um, so, uh, but, okay, so this idea of treasure being a noun and uh, a verb. All of this time, I've been thinking of treasure as a noun, as the thi- as things, as something that I could hold, so money or cars or house or toys or whatever it is, food, whatever it is, thinking of treasure as things. But what if I started to think about treasure as a verb, as something that I do? So it just so happens that um, the dictionary is helpful in this case. The dictionary says that to treasure, treasure as a verb, to treasure something is to cherish it, to adore it, to love it, even to worship it. So what do I treasure? What do I adore? What do I love? What do I cherish? Do I hold on to with that kind of treasuring sort of attitude or idea in my heart? If I think that way about what Jesus is saying here, that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, that what do I treasure? What do I adore? And what does that then say about what's going on in my heart and going on inside of me? Because Jesus says, your heart is deeply connected to your treasure, to what you treasure. And there is something in that that we need to begin to see and unpack because it reveals something that Jesus wants us to see. Uh, okay, so we're going to get practical here for a little bit. I. I experimented on uh, a group of uh, you guys like a week and a half ago and everybody survived. So we're going to try something here. You do not have to talk to anybody in this. You don't have to show anybody, reveal anything, anything you're writing or whatever. Um, but we're going to try to do something together. So throughout this series, um, we want to give you guys uh, different ideas for things to do to help us begin to dig into this idea of um, enough, this, this idea as a, as a heart issue. Uh, and so we're calling these experiences. So I'm at the end of the service today. I'm going to give you a list of experiences, things that you can try over the course of this week. But the first one we're going to do together. And our goal in this is to help each of us begin to see the way in which what's going on inside of us, the stuff that Jesus sees, to try to find ways to um, to see that stuff. This uh, idea of enough and what's going on in our hearts as we're wrestling through All this idea of resources. So uh, there's no pressure in any of this. We're just inviting you into that conversation that the author Jan Johnson mentioned. This conversation with God uh, regarding what is going on inside of us. So the first experience we're going to do together, I am, uh, I'm going to give you, actually you guys all have a piece of paper, or you should, if you need one, I'll give you another um, uh, something else. So uh, you should all have a piece of paper and a pen. You're going to need a piece of paper and a pen. If you don't have that, run back and grab something or raise your hand and somebody will give you something, so... Um, that's all you need, piece of paper and pen. It's real easy. And I'm going to ask you a question, and you're just going to take, an, I'm going to give you five minutes or so to just process and reflect uh, and just kind of start to think about this idea and what comes to your mind, what's going on um, in your mind and in your heart. So here's the question. You want to ask yourself this question. What does money accomplish for me? Pretty simple question. Now, first off, before you, you're already, your mind's already going, If your first response or instinct is, I don't have any money, what are you talking about? I can't answer this question, what does money accomplish for me, because I don't have any money. That's okay. Um, So for you, if that's kind of a feeling that comes up when you see that question, I want you to think about a time maybe in your life where you did have money. Maybe that was in the past, or if it's not currently, or or maybe you don't have money or haven't had money, but you think about, what if I had money? In the future, I'm going to have money. What does that money accomplish for you? So what does money accomplish for you? And just write it down. Now, for me, it included, like, good food and travel, um, things that I do with friends, trying to look semi-modern or whatever. Uh, I think Iceland, you referred to this as self-expression, like t- to express myself through, I'm try you know, I want to a little bit of that. Um, so just write down, what does money accomplish for you in your life? And I'm going to give you five minutes here to, to do that. All right, so I'm going to let you um, listen into a conversation that I had with myself the other day. I recorded it. No, actually, I didn't. <laughs> it was a conversation with myself. It might have been a conversation with God. Sometimes I'm not sure. Like I think I'm just thinking, and then I'm like, "Oh, hold on a second. What's who? Somebody's entering into this and kind of pushing different thoughts in." That um, so I'm not. I'm not quite sure what. Um, this conversation was between me and myself or um, and me and God. But it went, it went like this. Uh, and this is all in sort of prep for this message and the things I'm talking about and sort of wrestling and realizing um, just kind of stuff in my own heart. So it went like this. Um, Larry, do you realize how attached you are to things? When you're sad, what do you do? Eat something, buy something, use one of your possessions to distract yourself? When you're lonely, Larry, what do you do? Eat something, buy something. I use one of my possessions to distract myself. When I want to have fun, what do I do? I spend money, I eat, I buy things, I use my possessions. And then this really difficult question that hit me. Uh, Larry, when you want to feel loved and accepted, what do you do? Spend money on somebody else. Buy something for somebody else. It's attached to how I use my money my resources. So when I stand up here and um, talk to you guys, I imagine, maybe I'm wrong on this, but um, I imagine that you might think that I have all this stuff figured out, um, or that when Alberto is standing up here, or Matt, um, that or Wendy, that we have it all figured out. Wendy might actually have it all figured out, but <laughs> Matt and Alberto and I for sure do not have it all figured out. And this, I realize this particular message, that's very true. I do not have this stuff figured out. This is a journey that God is taking um, me through, and I, th- I hope all of us. That in that conversation with myself or with God, whatever was going on in that conversation, that God wasn't saying to me that I'm bad, or that I'm broken, or something is wrong with me, or that he's disappointed in me. That's a message that I hear uh, in life a lot. That's not what God was saying. God was in that conversation, and as that conversation continued and where it went, he was reminding me actually that he loves me that he cherishes me, that he adores me. But sometimes I cherish my money and my possessions too much. That sometimes, often, actually, I run to my money and my possessions before I run to God. That if I'm not careful, and this is what I felt like God was hitting me with, that I might actually cherish what my money accomplishes for me more than I cherish my loving Heavenly Father and his way of living, and his way of loving. So our society would like us to believe that we are only enough if we have enough. That being enough, feeling satisfied, feel whatever the good feelings we're looking for, that that's only going to come if we're successful, if we find ways to make more money or accumulate more things, or if we can only solve this problem that money and resources would solve for us. That's what society wants us to do, too. Go after those things to solve or to escape the negative feelings that plague us so often. But God says, you are enough. That I am enough. And that he treasures us more than anything else. That he loves us and that he adores us. And that he wants to set us free from the worries and the fears and all this stuff that's plaguing us and messing with us on the inside. He wants to help us be free from that internal neediness it holds us back in so many different ways. So I am, uh, I'm really excited about this series, uh, where we're going, and what we're going to be wrestling with over the next three weeks. Um, next week is Abundant Simplicity, which is, I think, going to be a fun challenge for all of us to think about this idea of simplicity. Uh, then we're going to talk about generosity, lives of generosity, And the final um, message in the series is collective impact. What does it look like when we're all sort of living this way and the impact that we can have in each other's lives and in our community? Uh, And what does it look like ultimately through all of this stuff is what does it look like when we deep down inside of us realize that we are enough? That God has said you are enough. So uh, in closing, I just want to read to you a handful of uh, passages from Scripture Scripture that I ran across as I was just sort of studying and prepping for this um, for this series So I'm just going to read down through uh, it's four different um, Passages in the next couple of minutes and I just want you to you can close your eyes. Just relax. Just listen to this This is some of these are Jesus friends speaking um, Some are one of the passages is just from some ancient history or wisdom literature and scripture uh, But I want to read a few of these that struck me as I was um, studying. So By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work. Those who love money will never, ever have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with everything you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You are enough. Lord, I'm uh, there's a part of me that's a little nervous and a little scared about this series, because I know already, just in the processing that I've done, you're Revealing to me um, parts of my heart that um, I, w- I was unaware of, attachments that I have, ways in which I cherish and adore things maybe more than I do you, or at least what my money accomplishes for me more than running to you. And uh, and I think you have more things you want us to see about ourselves, a look into our hearts and realize what's going on there. But the promise that I think we also see in all of this is that your goal is not to, l- it's not. To lower us or make us feel bad about these things, but to set us free from some of these things. that some of this stuff is holding us back. It's, it's leading us to think that we run to what our money does instead of what you do. Or if I had more time, I would feel better in this way or that way. Or if I had more energy, if I had more health, whatever it is, we look to these things so often to run away from negative feelings as our escape. But you're saying that we are enough just like we are. And that you want to enter in and help us process through what's going on in our hearts so that you can set us free from some, sometimes it's lies, sometimes it's confusion, sometimes it's things we've never, questions we've never asked. That you want to have a conversation with us about what's going on in our hearts and inside of us. And so I pray that um, you give us the strength and the courage to do this. I pray that um, you would find just the right way to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to reveal to us the things you want us to see. Uh, whether that's through scripture or through conversation and our prayer time with you or with friends that you would find a way Lord to help us see what you want us to see because ultimately we love you and we want to cherish you and we want to cherish and adore the kind of life you want us to live and the way you want us to love the people around us that's our goal Lord. We thank you Jesus for the life that you modeled your incredible patience with people like us that didn't get it, that didn't even know what was going on in our own hearts. You are so patient, and, uh, and we thank you for that, uh, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.